Uh, you have been very warm and welcoming, and you fed me very well, uh, so I'll be back every week if you keep doing that. Um, take your Bibles, please, this evening. Turn over to the book of Romans, chapter number 5. Book of Romans, chapter number 5. Pastor mentioned my little books and uh, videos on the table. Some of them are uh, theology books and lessons, and then I got some fiction work. Uh, usually, it's everything is $10, but since I like you people, two for 20 So we'll, we're running a special tonight. So uh, we'll do that. Uh, I hope that'll be a blessing to you. Uh, well, you found your place in uh, Romans chapter number 12. We'll be preaching this, uh, this evening, Lord willing, on a subject that should be of utmost importance to the Christian. Uh, the trouble is, it really isn't that big of a priority to most Christians, and that subject is the will of God. Uh, most Christians, they just kind of want to know, well, well, I wonder what the will of God is, but it's not necessarily a priority if they do happen to know it or to not know it. I mean, it was just, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, uh, I was reading and I had my text that I was supposed to be reading from, and it was verses 1 through 3 of this chapter, and I, my main text was going to be on, cha- on verse number 3. And as I was reading it, God told me, as I am preaching it, reading verse 1, He says, you need to preach on verse 1 right there. I said, well, thank you very much, Lord, but I already have my sermon, and it's on verse number 3. And the Lord didn't really seem to care. And you know, as I, and I was having this whole conversation with the Lord that I really already had some prepared and really didn't, didn't want his input at the moment. And he said, well, you can go ahead and preach all you want, but I won't show up. So we went ahead and preached on verse number 1. Amen. Amen. Because uh, there have been foolish times where I've not done that before. And the thing is, that's the way it happens sometimes, is that we have our plans this is what I've set out, Lord. This is what I intend to do. And now you're kind of impressing upon my heart. I'm supposed to do something else. Don't worry, Lord. I got it figured out. Trouble with most Christians is they think they can figure out about 90, 95% of their life. And they're like, Lord, if you'll just chip in for just like 5% or so, then I won't ask anything else of you. And we got to realize we cannot literally take our next breath without the Lord. Knowing what He has for us to do should be of paramount importance for every single Christian. Um, so if you found your place, please. Well, I'll tell you what, let's read in a second. I want to wait a, I'll tell you a little bit more. I got a bit more here. Some Christians think that finding the will of God is something that is rather difficult. And I'm here to tell you, it is not difficult. It is not a great big mystery. Uh, I remember, like, uh, when I was a little kid, we sometimes, we'd have a TV with rabbit ears on it. Now, if you're under 30, you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, It's just two big pieces of wire, and you would have to twist it a certain way. And if you, we could usually get ABC pretty good, but if you had to have certain weather and get it a certain way, maybe you could get that station out of Nashville. Uh, and if you were really smart, you wrapped tinfoil on it because that helped you get a better signal, all right? Uh, and, and some people think that's the way finding the will of God is. You've got to twist it and turn it and, and, and fast for 40 days and kill a calf and put the blood on a hill. It's not like that. It's not like God's up in heaven saying, well, I hope they uh, will do what I tell them to do, but I'm going to make it as hard as I possibly can for them to figure out. And yet, sometimes that's the way we live. Some, you ever talk to somebody about an issue and they're always seeking God's will? It reminds me very much of what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. It says, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We need to seek it, and if you seek, ye shall find. So with all of that being said, now, if you found your place in Romans chapter 12, if you're capable, if you would stand, please, for the honor and the reading of the holy book. 
We'll read the first two verses of Romans chapter 12, which says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. See, God's not asking anything unreasonable here. Verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So by His grace tonight, we're going to preach on a subject called How to Be Perfect. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace tonight. And again, I thank you, Father, you have blessed us with another day of life. Uh, this beautiful and comfortable place, the great freedoms that we enjoy, Father. I think of the afflictions that we have and how light and how transient they are, Father, compared to what our brothers and sisters have suffered throughout ages and even now, Father, in other parts of this world. I ask, Lord, that you would anoint the reading of your word and may you uplift your son. May everything be done in your power of your Holy Spirit. May that spirit alone have free reign to do his work tonight, Father. In Jesus' name we ask and we thank you ahead of time. Amen and amen. Thank you, and please be seated. How to be perfect. Now, there's been a few times in my life, and to be honest, it's, very, it's less times than it should have been, where I knew I am in the center of God's will. My address is God's perfect will, right? You can send my mail right here. And during those times, you are invincible. However, I don't usually live there. My mail is usually delivered over here, which is God's acceptable will. It's not necessarily a bad thing you're doing, but it's not the perfect thing that I have for you. I wonder how many of you live right here, along with me. Trouble is, when you're over here, you mean the devil cannot touch you. I was a few times in my life, I've been in God's perfect will. I remember when I was in the military, God said, I want you to get out of the military, go back to the States, and I want you to be a missionary back to your own state. And uh, I said, all right, Lord, I'll get out, I'll preach, first chance I get. And I got to wait like a year, year and a half for my enlistment to be up, and then I'm, Lord, I will go. And they shipped me off to Kosovo. Now, Kosovo is getting ready to declare independence from Serbia. Well, uh, I and they thought the Serbians might invade, so they pre-positioned us everywhere. Well, I knew I'm not going to die here in Kosovo because if I was going to die, God wouldn't have called me to preach. And I did say yes, and I reminded the Lord of that. that Daniel reminded the Lord of a few things, and David did. So I said, Lord, you called me, and I did say yes. So therefore, he's got plans for me. I'm not going to die here. Therefore, I'm immortal. So I volunteered for everything, crazy assignments. I'm looking for smugglers and all this kind of stuff, doing crazy stuff. Well, my flight sergeant, my, uh, what's called your first sergeant, he called me over. He says, what's wrong with you, Sergeant Watts? He's like, you trying to get a medal or something? He's like, at this point, my children are really little. And uh, he's like, you got a wife and two little kids at home. Why are, you, why are you trying to do all this crazy stuff? And he was a Christian. And I said, Sergeant Sanders, you know, call to preach and you know, I'm immortal. He says, all right, Watts, you ever think about this? You could preach just fine with your arms and legs blown off. Hadn't thought of that. <laughs> Quit volunteering for things. Right? The Bible says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. But what I'm saying is when you are in God's perfect will, you are in the safest place on the planet. 
and even the Christian who is out of God's will, you can be walking through Main Street, USA and have 15 cops around you, four paramedics, and you're in the most dangerous place on the planet. We must make where God wants us to be a priority in all things. How do we achieve this? Well, it's our key to it is right there in verse number 2 of our text, which says, and be not conformed to this world. See, this world is constantly trying to make you do what it wants you to do. You can't drive down the street without being inundated with billboards and radio signs and bumper stickers. And uh, you go into a store and they're pumping the music in there. And they get, everywhere in this planet, if you are conscious, they're trying to shove something in your brain. And to be honest, if you leave the TV or radio on at night, they're doing it while you're sleeping too. But the Bible says, hey, don't be conformed to this world. That is to take the shape of it. It says you need to be transformed. How are we transformed? Uh, by the renewing of your mind, which means, you know what? My mind gets out there and gets dull. I've got to take it somewhere else and let it get sharp again. You know where that someplace else is? One of those places is church. I'm glad you're all here tonight. It's not called the Lord's morning. It's called the Lord's day. Very good. And I'm glad you all came back made it a whole day out of the business. That's why it's also good to go to church on Wednesday night. Because this world's going to want to dull you and you need to stay sharp. How do you do that? You come to God's house. You keep your face in God's book is another way to keep yourself transformed so, uh, from the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and, here it is, perfect will of God. So I'm going to tell you tonight what is God's perfect will for your life. Now, this may seem pretty amazing, but I guarantee you i got scripture to back it all up. God's perfect will for your life. I'll give you three or four things here. First of all, God's perfect will for you li your life, number one, is to accept his son as Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ as your Savior. Salvation. For God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. So that is specifically God's will. Uh, God's will is for after you get saved, for you to get baptized. We saw some baptisms uh, this morning, and that's God's perfect will. Now, sometimes it's a little more challenging than others. I don't know if I would have shared that story, but uh, it's a good story. Uh, I was saying uh, to one of the brothers earlier today, my grandfather was a pastor. And so uh, he pastored up in Illinois, and when they baptized, they used the river. And in wintertime, they'd have to wait for the ice to pass by in order to get out to baptize the person. And then after they were out there, they had to wait for the ice to pass by in order to get back out. Uh, I, I don't know. I think I would have maybe turned Methodist for sprinkling or something. I don't know. Uh, God's will is for you to, one, get saved, two, get baptized, and three, what some of the young people did this afternoon. Brother Darrell's they went out and they witnessed and they told other people. What did God say? He says, go ye and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We saw all of those things that the church is supposed to do all were an outreach of what this church did here today. You need to be a part of every single part of that. Why? Because that is God's perfect will. God's perfect will also is your growth and sanctification. Now, it's a big fancy word that we preachers use, sanctification, and then there's justification. Justification is that process of salvation which I think if somebody gets convicted and they're sitting in the pew and they decide they want to come down uh, to talk to the preacher and they want to pray and they want to get saved. I don't think they get saved when they're down here. I think they get saved when they made a decision to do that back in the pew. 
That's when it happened. It's just like that. Now, they can explain it to them and, and, and show them how it all works, but the decision was made there, and it's like that. Now, that's justification. Sanctification is different. Sanctification is that daily holy living that you are to be sanctified. Uh, the word uh, uh, sanctified has to do with something that is special and set apart. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, For this is the will of God. This, anything that comes after that, this is Bible, is what you are supposed to be doing. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Let's stop right there. Fornication is very acceptable in our society. Not only is it acceptable... It is encouraged. Yeah, there's, there's great benefit to doing that. In fact, the government will punish you if you get married uh, as far as taxes go. But if you're just shacked up, you can get some benefits out of that. What does the Bible say? It says abstain from fornication. That's being with somebody other than your spouse. And we've got way too many uh, churches. I've got people who come every single week. And they're involved with somebody in that way. And you should know what I'm talking about if you're old enough to understand. And they're in fornication. You are out of God's will. This is not God's perfect will. This is not God's acceptable will. You're over here. Danger, 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 Will Robinson, as I said this morning. If that is you today or tonight, tonight's tonight to get that right. Because you know what, I think the Holy Spirit's been like, you know what, I've tolerated this too long. And it's just like they had in the old Western pictures. They got the bad guy and the good guy, and they get out in the middle of the street, and they say this town's not big enough for the two of us. You will either have God's protection and his blessings and his guidance, or you will reject it. And rejecting it is saying, your will is to abstain from fornication. I say, Lord, you get out of the way. My will is in charge. What are you teaching your children as well about all that fornication? What are you putting in front of them? Is it things that are glorifying fornication? Because that is going to have an impact on their life and how they view such things. And, and they package it up and make it look real pretty and real nice and, and real entertaining. But when we come right down to it, we're putting that before our eyes and God says, this is not my will. He says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Verse 4 says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. It says, you know how, you should know how to possess your vessel. That's like your body. Uh, and I'm able to uh, have my body in a way that is going to be pleasing to the Lord. Now, somebody can come down uh, to get saved and they can be pierced up like a pin cushion, uh, tattooed up like a sailor, and they can accept the Lord and they're just as saved as anybody in a three-piece suit that's got a nice clean shape. Now, here's the difference. because It's just like when I, I went off to basic training. We showed up that first night and the first thing, the next morning, first thing they did is they shaved everybody's head. So it didn't take as much effort for me as other guys, but they shaved everybody's head. They had this one kid, he had big old sideburns. And the barber said, mister, would you like to keep your sideburns? And the fellow said, yeah. So he buzzed him off, put him in a little bag, said, here, you can keep that. So we all had the same haircut, and in the next hour, we all changed our clothes, and we now all got uniforms, so we all look the same, so we all, our heads the same, our bodies the same, we're all saying the same thing, sir, yes, sir, and we're all thinking the same thing, which is, why did I sign up to do this? And that change 
happened in like an hour. However, that's not the way it works with the Lord. Lord says, I'm going to start my work on the inside. But you know what? Anything that is alive, it's supposed to be allowed to grow after it's born. And while you may show up and look a little rough on the outside, if God is in your life and he is allowed to grow through that sanctification, that holy living, you know what happens when something starts growing? It starts showing up on the outside too. Man says, I'm going to start with the inside and work in. God says, I'm going to start on the inside and I'm going to work out. So I have no problem with somebody who's the meth addict and the rough looking person coming to the church house. But you know what? After a while, you ought to start looking different. You ought to start talking different. This got to the point in our culture today, uh, you can be over at the store and you can look down the aisle and you can tell those people are Christians. You don't talk to them. You can just tell by the way they dress, by what they do, by what they say. Uh, you can tell those people are Christians. And that's the way it ought to be. You know what that is? That is sanctification, possessing your body in honor the way that God is talking about it. The trouble is nowadays is that not only is the church becoming worldly, but the world is becoming churchy. And you get the world out there and they know our words and they know our terms. I tell you what just gets my goat, all right? My goat is gone and I know who gets it. Is these stinking politicians who do every wicked thing there ever was and then they claim that they're a Christian and they'll quote a little verse for you. Just grinds my gears like I had no oil in my car. The world has become very churchy. I, I teach a Bible study for our legislators up there at the Capitol during the session. And I had one of them one time. He says, well, Brother Lee, you ought to come out to my church sometime. I'll see if I can get my pastor to preach. Uh, but you, come for the Sunday school hour even. Uh, we're doing the Gilligan's Island Bible study. I said, you're doing the what? That's what I said, Miss Annie. I said, what? He said, yeah, we'll watch the Gilligan's Island, and then we'll talk about the moral lessons that are in that. And at first, I thought, surely he's pulling my leg. So I go back home, and I look at, no, there's the Gilligan's Island Bible study. There's the I Love Loosely Bible study. Uh, you can, there's the uh, Beverly Hillbillies. You can get your doctrine from Jed Clampett now. And you'll watch an episode, and then they talk about the moral lessons that are in there and stuff like that. And here's the problem. And don't get me wrong, those are probably the most wholesome things Hollywood ever made, Andy Griffith and all that. I have a problem with any of that for entertainment. But this should not be where we are getting our doctrine from. That is not my standard of moral living. And we now have the Hollywood replacing studying God's word for where we're getting our moral lessons from. And we wonder, why do our kids not take this serious? You know why a lot of kids leave the church after they get older? It's because mom and dad, they come to church on Sunday morning, maybe even Sunday night, Wednesday night. You know what happens when they go home? Their house and their life is just like everybody else out in the world, and they don't see a difference. When they start seeing a difference, it's, they're like, huh. There's more to this than just putting on a front on Sunday morning like we was talking about in this morning's message. And if you want your kids to actually continue the faith that you have started, it's going to take sanctified living that is that way all week long. You ever notice in the book of Revelation talking about the, the world's becoming churchy and the church is becoming worldly. You can go to some churches 
and uh, you can take a picture of their services. And I've seen many people do this on Facebook. And they'll show a picture of their church service. And then they'll show a picture of a concert they've been to. And you know what? You can't tell the one from the other. And we got churches just full of entertainment. And they try to make it look and sound as much like the world as they possibly can. I had this one senator. He said, Brother Lee, why don't you come over to my church sometime? You won't even feel like you've been in church. I, if I'm going, I want to feel like I've gone to church. It's just like if I go to a restaurant, I want to leave feeling I've been to a restaurant. I don't want to feel like I've been to the gym. And that's a feeling I don't have very often, right? as you all can tell. But you know what? There ought to be something different about this place. You ever come in? I, I get a chance as an evangelist to visit a lot of different churches. I mean, that's, that's what I do. And you can walk into some places and you can just tell God lives here. This is his address. And you go to other places and you know God has not been in this place in 40 years. But they're still having service. They show up. They sing the songs. I was at one church. I had to leave it. Because you know what? They had sound doctrine, but no God. Everything was programmed. Everything was very nice. Everything was done properly. But the Holy Spirit's power and influence was not welcome. And the devil has no problem with that. You can preach all the sound doctrine you want, but if God is not there, nobody's going to be saved. Tears will never be shed and lives will never be changed. And that is the thing that is killing us as the fundamentalist movement of Christians, especially us fundamental Baptists. Not bad doctrine. We are too well trained and prepared and educated for false doctrine. We'll recognize that. We won't allow it. So you know what happens? Sound doctrine, but no power. And you got to have both. In spirit and in truth. Must have God's will. It's got to be God's church, not our church. Remember over in the book of the Revelation, Revelation is a book of the Bible that originally it was a letter. Uh, John, the ba- uh, John the Apostle, not bad, but John the Apostle, was told, write this down and uh, copy it seven times and send it out to these seven different churches that, that lived that are today in the nation of Turkey. And he says, you send it to these different churches. So, so he made a copy and he sends it out. If you actually read the seven churches, it's very interesting. You'll notice what happens. Because each one of these churches, while it was an actual real church, they also symbolically represent ages of history. And uh, when you notice what the way it goes, it says, send this letter to the church that is in Smyrna. This is Revelation chapter 2. Send this letter to the church that is in Pergamos, in Thyatira, in Sardis, in Philadelphia. And there's each one. Now the last age is called the age of Laodicea, which is the age we live in right now. All the other ones it says, send this letter to the church that is in that city. For this one it says, and send this letter to the church of the Laodiceans. It's not God's church. It's their church. And they're the ones who want to be entertained and really glorified and told how good it is. And they don't want to hear anything about sanctification and holy living. Well, I hope you sometimes come to church and sometimes preach a step on your toes with some kind of thing which is not really holy living. It's not God's perfect will. And he's like, hey, and he just mentions that. And sometimes you're like, I really wish he'd get off on something else. Trouble is God's perfect will is for us to live the way he said, not the way that we like. Some people say that's called rubbing the cat's fur the wrong way. Well, you can either turn the cat around because God's only going to stroke it one different way. We need to be sensitive to God's perfect will. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 1, the Apostle Paul said, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. See, the Apostle Paul, he went through beatings, he went through uh, imprisonments, uh, all, all kinds of problems, stonings. But here's the thing, he knew all of that he was going through was because he was in the perfect will of God. That will give you a lot of assurance, even if something goes wrong. And it's God's perfect will. I have no doubt in my mind, it's God's perfect will that I'm supposed to be a preacher. Everything in my life prepared me to do this for a job. In fact, when I was in the military, my job, my last job that I had, I was supposed to be a liaison to foreign politicians working for NATO. Well, that was God preparing me for what I was supposed to do next. Well, one of my jobs was supposed to be media relations because I had to get on TV and talk about things. And you know what I do now? I get on TV and radio and I talk about things. When I was a little boy, I didn't like to watch sports. I lived 10 minutes from Rupp Arena, and if UK's playing in the national game, I give the tickets away because I don't care. Now, I know some of you want to stone me by saying that, but I, I couldn't care. You know, I didn't like to watch sports when I was a little boy. I liked to watch the news. Well, you know why? Because God said, my plan for you is to work with politicians, and I need you to be focused on that. I have no doubt this is God's perfect will for my life. So here's something to every single young person in this room. Let me ask you, uh, what are you praying about? And this should be at the very tippy top of your prayer list. God, what am I supposed to do with my life? You were talking about firemen. I guess you had a funeral with some firemen. Most people, when there's a fire, first thing they want to do is they want to run out of the building. It is God's perfect will that somebody's supposed to run in. My perfect will for you is to run in when everybody else is running out. When bullets are flying, everybody's trying to get out of the way, God's perfect will is somebody in blue stand in the middle. That's my perfect will for your life. Perfect will for your life doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be a pastor or missionary. It might be. But you find out maybe God's perfect will for your life is to be a welder or a plumber. Whatever it is, God has perfectly prepared you. And he says, if you will do the perfect thing I have prepared you, in, then your life will be more blessed than anything you could ever have on the outside. So every single young person in this room, you need to put that at the very top of your prayer list. You may not have one. That's a good thing to start with. Lord, I'm getting to the point in life, what am I supposed to do? Because I can tell you, there's many a person probably in this room here tonight who is like, you know what? I'm not doing the thing I'm supposed to do. And they're stuck. I remember my father told me, he said, if you do something you love, it's never really work. I tell you, the second thing needs to be on your prayer list. Lord, who should I share my life with? Trouble is nowadays is we go out and we try to see, you know, well, what kind of packaging does it come in? And we all want it wrapped up real pretty and looking nice. Of course, nothing wrong with that. And uh, we, we'd like the person to be well off and, and to be beautiful and, and all those kinds of things. And that's great. But you know what? The devil can wrap all that stuff up too. And there's been more than one person who wound up marrying somebody who would, uh, first of all, might be against God's will, but the trouble is they've got a lot of Christians. They'll marry somebody that was in God's acceptable will, but they had, he had somebody prepared for them that was the perfect person. You ever hear about a one true love? It's more than a fairy tale. I believe God has one person for everybody else that he's decided it's supposed to get married. And if you get the one that's here, it's acceptable. That's what you did. But you could have had 
perfect. I have no doubt in my, in my mind of all at all, 100% convinced that I was supposed to marry Christine Watts because that woman would be a mess without me. No, I'm kidding. All right. no. She's over in Europe right now, so I can say that. All right, She's here. She, in fact, she's watching online. I love you, dear. All right. uh, no, everything that I am weak in, she is strong in. Those areas that she struggles in, she is weak in. You know what? Those are the areas the Lord has given me, and we are perfectly balanced. I am 100% convinced that's the, my one true love. That's the one person out of 8 billion in this world I was supposed to marry. That gives you great assurance because you're not always going to be in a honeymoon. And sometimes you'll go through the rough patches, but you know what? If you know this was God's perfect will, first thing you put on your list, God, what would you have me do? Number two, Lord, who is the perfect person that I am to share my life with? And that's not maybe just for the young people out here. A lot of adults, for one reason or another, may be in a position where they could leave the job they're currently in and do something else. You know, Lord, what would you have me do? You might be an older person who is single for whatever reason, and maybe the Lord would have you marry later in life or marry again. Now, don't come up to me and say, well, Brother Lee, I think I married the person who was the wrong one, so I'm going to divorce her, and I'm going to get me another one. No, after you're already married, you know what God's perfect will is for you then? You make that work. That is now God's perfect will for you, so don't go around getting a bunch of divorced people thinking you're going to try to blame that on Brother Lee. God's perfect will. Sick and tired of people who are just going out there saying everything's okay, do whatever you want, feel good about yourself. I'd like you to feel good about yourself, but you know what? The Apostle Paul didn't feel good about himself. He says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And you know what? Whenever I go to church and I, I, when it, those nights I leave where God really showed up, I don't leave thinking, you know what? I'm a great person. You know what happens when God shows up? I usually wind up being convicted because I'm not a good person. And I haven't been praying about these things. And to be honest, I haven't given two hoots in the wind about what God's will is for me. And I've been going about my life doing whatever I wanted, usually staying in God's acceptable will when I could have been spending my time in God's perfect will. And I bet about 99% of the people here live the same way. God, is your perfect will for me to watch this program this evening? Is your perfect will that I do this, that, or the other? Every little thing. I remember I was up at the Capitol. It's been uh, many times in my job. Uh, I'll have to uh, maybe have an appointment with somebody to counsel with them at a certain time. I, I remember this one particular day. I had an appointment that morning to meet with senators, talk about some issues he had with his wife. And then uh, there's about two hours later, there was a committee, and they're going to talk about this law that I wanted to keep my eyes on. But I got about two hours in between where I got nothing going on. So I can either spend two hours in the cafeteria getting the free refills or I can ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me do? Thinking the Lord will be perfectly fine with me sitting there and drinking nothing but Diet Coke for the next two hours. Lord said, get up, go to the second floor and walk around. Well, I thought, you don't get free refills on the second floor, Lord. But I, if the Lord impressed upon my heart, that's what I was supposed to do. Okay. I get up, I go to the second floor, and I start walking around. Second floor is where they have the Kentucky State Supreme Court and all the judges' offices and all their things there. And as I'm walking around, there's this door open, 
And inside, I can see one of the secretary ladies. She's got her hands buried in her face, and she's sobbing. And I walked in, I said, excuse me, ma'am. I serve as chaplain up here. I see your heart's heavy. Can I be a blessing to you today? The Lord allowed me to work with that lady. It was God's perfect will. I walked around on the second floor that day. Do you ask, Lord, what is your perfect will for me today? Lord, what is your perfect will for us to go on vacation this year? Lord, what is your perfect will for my child as they're heading out into this world? Have you prayed for your child, your grandchild? Lord, would you press on them, direct them in some way for your perfect will? Because you know what? Your perfect will is not always our will. I'll never forget. It's been about um, five, six years ago. Uh, we had Governor Bevan at the time, and I was uh, good friends with the Bevan administration. And uh, he had called me up, and he said, uh, Brother Lee, we're going to do the uh, Capitol Christmas tree lighting ceremony, and I'd like you to come up and say a few words uh, and maybe open in prayer. And I was like, well, I'd, I'd be very happy to do that. I mean, there's going to get my product picture in the paper next to the governor, and I get on TV, and uh, I said, this will be just fine. I'll, I'll, yes, sir, I'll be happy to. Well, uh, the, that's supposed to be on a Monday. Well, Sunday before, I was preaching down in Tennessee. So I went down to Tennessee. I stayed that night because it was a nighttime service. I said, well, I'll just get up because I don't have to be at the Capitol until the afternoon, early evening. So uh, I start driving up I-65, heading up to the Capitol, and there's this state trooper behind me. And I, so I put the cruise control on. I'm like, that way he won't get me. Well, after about 30 or 40 minutes, he turns his lights on. And I'm like, well, what's going on? I know I wasn't speeding. And so he, he says, well, mister, I've been following you for about 30, 40 minutes. And there's nobody out, and so I had nothing to do, so I just ran your plates, and uh, I'm placing you under arrest. I said, what in the world for? He said, Grand Theft Auto. I'm like, what? And so we get to talk, and he says, well, where were you going? I said, well, I was going to Capitol, and Matt, uh, the governor had said, come up, and, and you know, here's his, there's a text message from him right here. And uh, he's like, well, you look like a nice guy, but I just can't call headquarters and said, I let him go because he looked like a nice guy. He says, you got a warrant for your arrest. I'm taking you to jail. So I get taken over to the jail over in Munfordville, Kentucky. And they throw me in the drunk tank. And I'm sitting there. And they, they do the fingerprints and the picture and all this kind of stuff. And I'm talking to the lady who's processing me. And I said, yeah, I'm a preacher and the chaplain and the governor. And they're like, we've arrested the wrong person, but we've got to keep you here. So the jail was full, so they throw me back in the drunk tank. And so I'm just sitting there, and I am not a happy Kentucky citizen. And then it occurs to me, wait a minute, I know what's going on. 25 years before, my grandfather had passed away. He was a preacher up in Illinois, when I told you about earlier. Well, he died. My mother inherited the car. Well, there was a time where my car was broke at the time, or I didn't have one. So I said, hey, Mom, can I borrow Grandpa's car? She said, yeah, but just be careful. You know, they, they were going to sell it. It was just this old boat of a car, and they didn't want it. And so it had out-of-state plates, had a sticker on it, said clergy. And I'm driving around in it, 17, 18, with my buddies, and we are not acting like clergymen. Well, we're driving around uh, where, Scottsville. That was it. a wonderful place, a little Scottsville. Best, best fish restaurant in Kentucky's in Scottsville, Kentucky. So we're driving around with this state, uh, no, it was a sheriff, county sheriff. And uh, he's a deputy, and he sees all these teenage boys driving his car. It's an old man car. Uh, and they're driving a bunch of them, out-of-state plates, clergy sticker. So he pulls me over. He says, I want to see your license, insurance, registration. Well, I got a license, but I don't have insurance. Why should I have insurance? I don't own a car. Registration? I don't have this car registered to me. 
So he looks at who looks it up. It's registered to somebody with a different last name in another state. He thinks I stole a car. So he arrests me, takes me over to uh, the jail there, the county jail in uh, Scottsville, whatever county that is, Allen County. Well, they start writing up the paperwork. They call my mom and dad, and they figure out he didn't steal the car. It's his grandfather's on his mother's side. That's why there's a different name, yada, yada, yada. So it took about an hour, and then they're like, okay, sorry about this. You're fine. You're free to go. So I go away. 25 years later, somebody is cleaning out one of the desks at the Allen County Sheriff's Office. And they see this report half filled out for Grand Theft Auto. And they're like, this old paper report should be in our new computer system. And they put in a computer in the thing, boom, and a warrant for my arrest for Grand Theft Auto. And now I've been arrested two times for not stealing my grandfather's car. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting in the drunk tank and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I know what's going on. But it's not like I can prove any of this. And then one of the jailer people comes to me and says, hey, mister, uh, come back up front. So uh, I go back up front, and the lady who did the booking and the pictures and fingerprints, she said, uh, they say you're a preacher? I said, yes, ma'am. She says, can you help me? And she had some pretty serious problems back in her home life. So I counseled with her. Then they had some ruffians come in. They threw me back in the drunk tank for a few minutes, took care of them. A few minutes later, they called me back out so I could talk to her. And I went up to counsel with that lady probably three or four times over the course of seven hours. Missed the ceremony with the governor. Didn't get my picture in the paper next to the governor or anything. Didn't get on TV. And for a while, I was pretty upset about all that. But before they let me out of that tank, I knew it is God's perfect will that you're going to sit in a drunk tank for seven hours. And you've been arrested twice. Why? Because I need you here. Talk to that woman. Sometimes something rotten happened in your life. It's God's perfect will. And something rotten happens. First thing you need to do is find out, Lord, am I in sin? Or maybe it's something you're going to use. We found out John the Baptist was in God's perfect will, and he got his head cut off. Daniel was in God's perfect will. He's thrown into a pit of lions. I believe I was doing what God would have me to do that day, and his perfect will is for me to sit in a jail cell, drunk tank for seven hours. Have you bothered to pray at all, God, what is your perfect will for my life for this coming week? We go through our lives, and we're like, yeah, I got about 90% of it. But becomes when it gets real serious, then I'll start asking for God to chip in. Let's go back to our main text. Verse number 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Are you living in the perfect will of God? You will not know, and you will not do it by accident. It is only by seeking and asking. Knock and it shall be open to you. Seek and ye shall find. I hope tonight you'll be a little more convicted about the seeking and the knocking. Because he definitely wants to give you the answer. Pastor, we'll turn the invitation time over to you.